Well, I want to talk about Christian integrity today. That means we need to be honest with each other, right? And we need to be honest with the Lord. And we may think that we're being honest, but are we willing for God to reveal what's really in our hearts? I want to talk about three areas of honesty today, of integrity, of truthfulness, of transparency, that I believe describe the real Christian life. Number one, I want to talk about our personal relationship to God, about how honest we're really willing to be with God about our true condition. Are we willing to let God deal with our weaknesses, and then are we willing to let God reveal to us things that we don't even know are happening in our experience. Number two, I want to talk about integrity, real Christian integrity in the home life, in the marriage relationship, and within the parenting relationship between parents and children. And lastly, I'd like to talk about integrity in every other relationship outside of the home. Every transaction of life, if we're being honest, that our integrity is a Christian integrity in our church setting, in our school setting, with relatives, at work, with friends, real Christian integrity. Let's talk about that first area of our personal relationship with God. Psalm 25, 21 says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me. For I wait on thee. Who are we waiting on? We're waiting on God because God is the one who provides integrity. God is the one who provides uprightness. It says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait on thee. We're going to talk today about letting God preserve us in our integrity versus us trying to be preserving ourselves. Self-preservation. Do you ever feel like self-preservation? Happens every day. And if we are not actively seeking God to preserve us in integrity and honesty, we will be trying to preserve ourselves. So today, as I share with you, I want you to think about whether or not you're really being honest with God. I remember the very day, the very place where I was, when I opened my heart up to God to trust Him enough to believe that He really was God and to allow Him to begin to deal with the known weaknesses that I had been pushing pushing away from. If any of you are sitting here today and you are consciously aware of areas of your life that you have refused to let God have, then you are not experiencing true Christian integrity. If there are areas in your life that you know are weaknesses and you do not want God to deal with those areas of your life, you're on a dangerous situation. You're on dangerous ground. Because God, while God loves us, He will by no means clear the guilty. 
So I hope today, as we talk together about integrity in our personal walk with God, that we will be willing to really let him have access. I remember the very place when I gave God access to me in a way that I had never done before in my adult life. And I remember with some fear and trembling in my heart, wondering what would happen when I allowed God to deal with the weaknesses that I knew. Well, God had more in mind than just dealing with the weaknesses that I knew when I got on my knees before God because God began to show me step by step, not all at once, but God began to show me weaknesses and areas of my life that I had never recognized before. Do you trust God enough today? Do you believe God loves you enough today that you can be vulnerable with Him and allow Him to have access to all the hidden areas of your life? What do you think? Are you willing? That's what true Christian integrity is. And if we really love God, if we really believe in God, then do you think that we can trust God enough to open up our lives to Him personally? What do you think? You know, sometimes we know these things as separate facts, okay? We believe God is love. We believe God gave Jesus to redeem us, the greatest gift that heaven could give us, and that we believe, and yet we come over here and we want to hold on to certain areas of our life because we're afraid. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of what it might cost us if we give it to God. If we let God have that, we're afraid that if we surrender that to God, our life won't be so enjoyable anymore. I can remember talking with my son recently. And we were talking about speeding. You know what that word means? <laughs> going faster than we should be going. And you know, I told my son the commitment that I had made to God. Now, he wasn't speeding in a, you know, really, really speeding, but as we were talking together, I had a concern for where that leads. And so I shared with Josiah the commitment that I had made to God, my commitment to God personally. And you know, he said something to me that I really understood and I could enter into. He said, well, Father... You know, the difficult part of this is, is that when you were my age, you liked speed too. You've told me some of those stories. And you didn't have to make a commitment at that time. And so you got to enjoy your speed. And now I have to make a commitment. And you're, you know, you're my father and you're done with all that stuff. And now I'm 17 and... And here I am, faced with a commitment. Now, isn't that an honest-hearted response to how we respond to God sometimes? And I told him, I really appreciate your honesty. But I said, Josiah, have you forgotten some of the parts of that story that I told you about what I did to my parents' car? (laughs) See, that part, that's part of the story too, isn't it? And that wasn't a very pleasant part of the story, and... That part sticks in my mind more than the fun I had speeding. God doesn't want us to speed, brothers and sisters, not because He doesn't want us to have fun. God 
wants us to enjoy the Christian life. He wants to, to, above all things, prosper and be in good health. He wants us to enjoy Christianity. And I tell you today, in the integrity of my heart, as best as I know my heart today, I love serving my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because I have come to believe and have come to see that whenever He asked me to give Him something of myself, He always has something better of Himself to give me. And this morning as I was on my knees before God, what a joy in my soul to open myself to Him as I did that very first time that I could remember it back there with fear and trepidation this morning to be on my knees and open myself up to God and say to Him in the quietness of my prayer time there on my knees, Lord, I don't want anything between my soul and You. Is there anything, Lord, I want You to reveal it to me and to have the assurance that step by step I am opening myself to the Lord and not fearing what He's going to tell me because I know today that what God is going to tell me is going to make me a better man, going to make me a happier man, and going to make me joy in the salvation of my God. To delight to do His will. You see, our Heavenly Father wants us to love Him with all of our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. You know, we can't do that. One of the greatest revelations in my Christian experience was to recognize I cannot do that. I'm incapable of having that kind of love. Where does that love come from? Isn't it amazing as we really enter into the Christian experience that everything in the Christian experience, everything, our faith, where does it come from? <laughs> where does our repentance come from? Where does our confession for sin come from? Everything comes through Christ. He is all and in all if we will allow Him to be. And it was a revelation to me that I can't love God. My heart doesn't naturally turn to God. But you know, I wanted to love God. And I wanted to be a Christian. And you know what I found out? That God will put His love in us if we ask Him to. I pray many times. I pray, Lord, put Your heaven-born love in me. I cannot generate it. But I want to love you. And I want to love the souls that you bring into my path. You know, this morning as I was praying, I was in that little room in there. And that's a very comforting little room. Nothing special about that room. But as I've gone in there and prayed with my wife and prayed with Paul and prayed with Carolyn, and as we've been in that little room, that room has become very special to me. Because God meets us in those kind of places when we need Him. In that little room, if you walked in there, it's nothing very special. It's not even a very neat and tidy little room. But in there, I find comfort to my soul. Because I go in there to find a refuge in my God before I come to speak here. And this morning, when I was in there, I had such a love in my heart for you people. 
And I can't generate that love. But oh, what a warmth of of heart as I was on my knees praying that God put in my heart for you as I opened myself up to God and as I took to heart the seriousness of standing before God's people this morning in this pulpit. You know, for some reason, and I, I speak many, many times in many places, but for some reason, every time I come up here, in fact, when I was walking up here and I was thinking about integrity, I thought, you know, I really should tell these people to be really honest how scared I am when I come into this pulpit. <laughs> but you know, that drives me to my God, to my Savior. And you know, I'm not scared anymore. But when I step into the pulpit, it doesn't matter how many times I speak, my heart is racing, but it drives me to my dependence upon God. And my dependence upon God is what I need to be able to love you and to give you what I believe God is putting in my heart today. To love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Does that cover everything? It's covering it pretty well, isn't it? God doesn't want any other gods before Him. He wants us completely. Is He asking too much? No, He's not asking too much. And I want to tell you this morning that if you don't feel like loving God, if you don't know how to love God, or if the, if the picture of God that you have because of some horrible experience you've gone through, and I meet many people who say, I didn't have a father that showed me a God that I could trust. If this morning you don't find it in your heart to, to want to love God with all your heart and trust Him with all your heart, then tell Him that honestly in the integrity of your heart because He knows it. Tell Him, Oh, Father, I know You've given Jesus to die for me. Father, I know You love me and You want to redeem me. You want to restore me. But Father, I don't know how to trust You. I want to trust You. Will You give me Your heaven-born love? I tell you today, brothers and sisters, young people, teenagers who are fearful to give yourselves to God because you think you won't have fun, I tell you today, there is no experience like the Christian experience when it's connecting us with Jesus Christ. I've lived religion for many years. Preaching the same Bible text or knowing and memorizing the same things. I remember giving a sermon when I was 12 years old on the second coming of Jesus. But I didn't understand how to give myself to that Jesus. I'd been baptized already, but I didn't really understand how to die to self. God doesn't care about that. All He cares about is are you willing to let Him show you how to die to self? Are you willing to let Him put His love in your heart? Because if you are, He will do it. And He can do it today. And that's what I love. One of the things I love about God is that today, no matter where you're from, no matter how bad your baggage is, no matter how much you hurt, no matter how many times you've tried before, today, you can experience the love of God to melt your hard heart and to open you up to His love and surrender yourselves to Him. It can happen here today. It thrills my soul every time I go to a camp meeting or go to a church and do a seminar. It thrills my soul 
to have people write to me or call to me or speak to me at that seminar and say, I have given myself to God. Or to write me two weeks later and say, it's working. It's never worked before, but I've opened my heart to God and my life is changing. I'm being transformed by the power of a living Savior. That thrills my soul. And he wants to do it for us today if we'll open our hearts and be honest with him. You know, I told you about my prayer time this morning, but I didn't tell you that last night, last night as I was reflecting on integrity, and as I was reflecting on what it means to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, as I was reflecting on that, the Lord flashed a thought into my mind and reminded me of something, and it went like an arrow to my heart. I was actually praying with my wife out loud when the Lord brought this through. We were together praying out loud. And it was actually in the middle of the night last night. It was around midnight. Now usually at midnight, I am very much asleep. I, I honestly couldn't tell you that I know much of the experience of Jesus spending all night in prayer. But last night, last night my wife and I had a beautiful experience with God. And as I was praying, the Lord flashed this thought into my mind. It was something that had come between my soul and loving God with all my heart. I hadn't even thought of it. And it flashed into my mind. It might as well have been a vivid picture in front of me. And as I was praying, I just began to spontaneously confess that to the Lord. And it broke my wife's heart. And she said to me, honey, and I only share this to you because I want us to be honest and, and have honest hearts before God. She said, honey, I have never met anyone in my life that's as honest with God as you are. Brothers and sisters, that is only because I want to go all the way with my Lord and Savior. And I believe you do. And that's why you're here, right? So don't be afraid to open yourself up in honest, gut-level, vulnerable integrity before God and let him have access. Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid to weep in front of my children. I'm not afraid to confess my sin to my children. I'm not afraid when I've wronged my children to tell them in specific terms. Oh, I've met so many people, and I used to be one who would apologize. 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 Do you know what an apology is? Read it in Steps to Christ. An apology is something we say while we make an excuse for what we did. If you hadn't stepped on my toe, I wouldn't have done it. That's an apology. We need to go beyond apologies, brothers and sisters. And when we have wronged someone, we need to be specific with our God about what we've done and specific with the person we have wronged. If it's our children, I hear parents say, well, my children won't respect me if they find out. No. You don't have to pour out... Only the things that affect your children. You don't have to confess your sins of what you've done to your wife or secretly to God, with God. 
But you confess to your children where you have wronged your children and they will respect you. It will show, you the way, show them the way by example and by precept. Does God have your heart today? Does God have your heart today? If He doesn't have your heart today, you are not at rest right now. And Jesus wants to give you rest in your soul today in the integrity of your heart before Him. Well, I want to talk about integrity in the home life. I want to talk about moving the integrity of our relationship to God into the integrity of how we operate in our marriage because I am convinced that the first recipient of the gospel power of Jesus Christ to change me should have a direct effect upon my wife. Do you think that's fair to say? She should be the first recipient of any changes that God brings to me as a man, as a Christian, and then to my children. Are we really having honest communication in our homes, in our marriage relationships? Is the marriage relationship transparent in our homes? Husbands, are we really being honest with our wives in our home? Wives, are you really giving yourself an honest transparency to the marriage relationship with your husband? I remember when we moved from the city suburban lifestyle outside of Chicago, we moved out to the country. While we were building our home, we lived in a little trailer. It's one of the greatest blessings of our life to live in that little trailer. We came from a very large and affluent home in the city setting of Chicago suburbs to live in a little trailer that was 35 feet long and 8 feet wide. What a blessing God gave to us there. Do you know how it was a blessing? I couldn't run from my wife. (laughs) Not that I thought I was ever running from her before, but I was gone 8 or 9 hours a day in my previous lifestyle. And God allowed us to have some time to be together and put us in this little trailer and we were together closer than we'd ever been and spent more time than we'd ever spent and I found out who I wasn't. I found out who I wasn't. I came to the mountains of Montana from a personal ministries director position of 1,300 member church. Being a leading elder in the church, all heady things for a young man in your late 20s. I thought it was pretty good until I got to the trailer. Well, the Lord was showing me before I ever got there, believe me. But when I got to that little trailer and got there with my wife and my children, three little children in that little trailer, I want to tell you, God showed me who I was not. And I wouldn't trade that experience in that little trailer for anything else. But in that little trailer, my wife... And I found out how little we knew about each other's spiritual condition. In the morning, I'd sit there at that little table, and I would be there supposedly reading my Bible. You know? Well, I was, but my mind was a hundred different places, and I was struggling in the Christian experience. And there I was in this trailer, and what was I doing here, and how was I going? And my wife was sitting up there on the bed, up in the little fifth wheel part of the trailer. She's sitting there, and she's just absorbed in the Word of God. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, she's really got it together. I mean, she's, she really spends time with the Lord. She's up every day. 
Little did I know, my wife was sitting up there looking down on me at the table thinking, oh, my husband, boy, he just, he remembers the Bible verses and he can turn to them and they're just there. He just, he just got an experience and I don't have an experience. And God in his mercy, one morning, let me catch my wife weeping quietly. And the whole story came out. And from that day, we began to be honest. And that's a whole other story. But from that day, we have never lost track of our spiritual condition together in our marriage relationship. Is your marriage transparent before God in integrity, Christian integrity? Husbands, wives, are there secret parts of your life that only God knows, but God knows that there are secret parts of your life, parts that you don't want your spouse to know? Are there secret things? Are you doing things, men, on that computer that have nothing to do with your employment? Are you going to websites that you found accidentally maybe and the devil lured you into them? Are there secret places in your marriage life you wouldn't want your wife to know? Wives, are you secretly getting magazines, reading novels? Are you, are you getting things while your husband's gone? Do you have food addictions? Are you hiding things that your children are doing while your husband's gone, not wanting him to know because you fear that he won't think you're a good mother? Are you hiding things from each other? Are you spending money that you shouldn't be spending without wanting your husband to find the receipt? Or husbands, the other way around. You know, buying some things out there because you really don't like the food your wife's fixing you. You don't like that, and so you're, you're sneaking around and buying things. You don't want her to see the receipts, and you don't want her to know. But the hidden things, I don't care how small it is, friends, if it's hidden, if it's secret, it's not Christian integrity. And God wants to make us transparent. And if we will allow ourselves to become transparent before God, He will give us the grace to become transparent in our marriage relationships. What about you children and youth today? Children and youth today. Are you being honest to your parents? Are you really telling them the truth? When you go downstairs and they think you're cleaning your room or upstairs or wherever your room is, (laughs) and they think you've gone to do your duty to take care of your chores, to, to clean your room, to do the things they've asked you to do. Are you getting sidetracked? Are you really doing something else? And then when you hear them coming, maybe you hear mother coming, and so you run back in your room and you you quickly try to make it look like you've been spending your whole time cleaning your room. Is that integrity, children? Is that honesty? No, it's not honesty. Some of you youth... And maybe some of you little children, I know that we live in an information age today, and this information and some of it is is information that should never enter your minds, but young people, are you using your parents' computer? Or maybe you have your own computer. Are you looking at things on that computer? Are you playing games on that computer that you know God does not want you to do, and you know that if your parents come down the hall, you're going to switch into something else? 
Oh, friends, young friends, I pray that God will convict your heart and you'll have integrity before your parents. Your parents love you. They may not always express it to you in the best way. Have mercy on us, parents, children. I'm thankful that my young people have had mercy on me. I said to my children when they became teenagers, please have mercy on me. I've never raised teenagers before. This is the first time. You know what they said to me? Well, we've never been teenagers, and it's a give and take, and we'll encourage each other, and we'll have mercy on each other. That's working together. Young people, be honest with your God and with your parents. What are you listening to with that little Walkman as you're walking around? You know, those little things that become so compact that you can walk around and have these little things in your ears and you can hardly see them. But what are you listening to? Does mother think you're listening to my Bible friends and you're listening to some music that you shouldn't be listening to? Be honest. Don't live a lie. I've met many conservative, and I'll use that term conservative, young people, teenagers, who are striving desperately to to live the way they believe that their parents want them to live or making them live, but in their heart of hearts, they're living a lie and they don't want that religion. I meet other young people, and I don't like these titles, but they, they paint a picture of the on the liberal side, their parents think they can just give them anything and they're going to make their children happy. I've talked to some of those young people. They want boundaries. They want, they want restraint. They want their parents to love them enough to stop them and not give them everything. It's on both sides of the fence. God is calling for integrity for you young people to be honest. Don't live a lie in your hearts. Maybe you don't tell lies, but are you living a lie? Or maybe you're not telling a lie, but you're not telling all the truth. Maybe you're leading your parents to believe something that's not true, that's living a lie. And it all happens because we're trying to preserve self. Self Self-preservation. And preservation God's way is totally different than preservation self's way. You know, Abraham fell into the same problem. Abraham and Sarah were crossing over into Egypt. Do you remember what happened? (laughs) Abraham said, I I won't paraphrase it, I'll read it here. Abraham said, say, I pray, thou art my sister. And here's why. The verse goes on and tells us why he wanted her to do this that it may be well for me. For who? Me. Who's me? Self. Here's Abraham, the father of the faithful. He's going to be. He needs some help like we do, doesn't he? He says, I don't want you going over there and them thinking that you're my wife because you know how the kings are these days. You know how Pharaoh is. He sees that you're pretty good looking and he's going to take you from me and you know what he'll do to get rid of me? So for for me, to preserve me, 
Just tell him that you're my sister. Now, was it true that she was his sister? It was a partial truth because of the the, the birthing situation and the, the way that all took place. But what was his real intent? Self-preservation. That's what he did it for. And that, my friends, young people and old people, self-preservation is at the base of all lack of integrity. All of it. You try it out. You let me know if you find anything that is dishonest that is not for some reason connected to self-preservation because I've never found it to be true. That's what it's about, self-preservation. We're told in inspiration that this concealment, say that you're my sister, this concealment was deception. No deviation from strict principle. I'm sorry, that's, that's true too. Strict integrity is what it says here. Strict integrity can meet God's approval. No deviation from strict Integrity can meet God's approval. Did God approve of what Abraham did? No, he rebuked him through the Pharaoh. And you know what Abraham did later? Did it again, didn't he? Went to Gerar this time. Did the same thing with Abimelech. Did God approve of it? No, he didn't approve of it. Husbands, wives, Are you deviating from strict integrity that God cannot approve? Children, youth, are you deviating from strict integrity? You have a conscience. God is calling to your conscience, wants to educate your conscience, wants to empower you to live what your conscience is calling you to do. Are you living strict, integrative lives or are you deviating from integrity? You know, this has happened in my home and maybe it's happened in yours. I'll ask my daughter, so what was going on out there? You know, you you sound like you were getting upset and she says, well, Josiah said, wait a minute. What were you doing? The first thing we want to do is put the blame somewhere else. Is that strict integrity? No, it's self-preservation. What I want to know is what you did out there, not what he did. I'll take care of what he did later. Strict integrity is not leading me to believe that it was all his fault, right? Strict integrity means that I'm going to represent it right even if I don't come out very good. Because even if we come out wrong, we'll be happier with strict integrity than living a lie. Don't be like Abraham and give a half-truth or a partial truth to try to preserve self. You know, if we want to really deal with self-preservation, this is how to do it. Notice these words in Mark, the 8th chapter, the 35th verse. This is how we deal with self-preservation and move to being preserved by uprightness and integrity. Jesus said, whosoever will save his life, that's self-preservation, shall what? Lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life, for whose sake? 
for my sake, Jesus said. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall what? Save it. The best preservation is God's way. The best way to grow a seed in the garden is to take that seed, put it in the ground, give it some water, give it some sunshine, and that seed will do what first? Die. Isn't that a horrible thought? The seed will die. And without death, that seed can never multiply. Oh, friends, God is asking us not to save our lives. He's asking us to lose our lives for his sake when strict integrity When Christian integrity is being called in question, God is asking us to die so that we might live for him, for his sake, and for the sake of his gospel. You see, self-preservation will lead us to eternal death. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright shall guide them. Does that sound good? That means if we'll keep our conscience tender before God... If we will keep sensitive to his word and really allow him to have an open two-way communication where we deal with the weaknesses we know and we let him give us the responses in the areas we need, that two-way communication, he will preserve us. Our integrity and uprightness will guide us as we go through the day. You see, Abraham was finally brought to the final test for his lack of integrity. And you know how that happened, don't you? He was taken with Isaac on a special journey, just father and son, and he experienced the agony that the Heavenly Father went through with Jesus, his only begotten son. Abraham, as a type, went through the agony of taking his son in the complete integrity of of his heart to God. He came to the place where he was willing to offer his son his only son, because he believed that God could raise him from the dead. That's faith. That's integrity. And he won the battle and became the father of the faithful through all generations. God did not leave him in his lack of integrity, did he? God did not leave him with an undone part of his character to be the representative of the father of the faithful for all generations. So, Fathers and mothers, are we demonstrating to our children integrity in the home? Are we? Are we demonstrating integrity in the home? Is that the example? You know, we've heard people say, when the phone rings, the child's getting ready to answer it. If it's so-and-so, tell them I'm not here. Tell them I'm not here. Is that integrity, brothers and sisters? What does that poor child put in a position to do? Violate their conscience. But if that's the way they're raised, if that's what they see, and you know, this happens in very professing Christian homes because self is being preserved and people don't even know it's happening or don't view it as self-preservation. It's not wrong to say I'm not available. If that's, if you're not available... You're not available. That's okay. But don't tell them you're not home. Don't put your child in that position. What an example of dishonesty and lack of integrity. We need to be an example of integrity. Parents, we need to be an, an example of integrity in how we converse with one another and with our children. 
I travel, we travel all over various parts of the world, and everywhere we go, we see jesting and joking and foolish speaking and exaggeration. Everywhere we go, it's just a part of many, many homes. Is it a part of God's home? Is it? Are we, are we trying to learn to live so that we'll be ready to live in heaven? Okay? I have a sensitivity to this, and I make no apologies for it, okay? I have a sensitivity to this area because I used to be very much a jester, a joker, a storyteller, an exaggerator. If I could make the story sound better, I'd exaggerate. If I could get somebody into a good laugh, I used to be known as the life of the party. When I used to work in the x-ray department at Hinsdale Hospital, life of the party before I was married. Oh, just... There's no life in that party, friends. There is no life there. I did not feel good when I went home at night sometimes. I did not feel good about the jesting and joking, the empty getting a laugh. You know, it's, it's insecurity. It's masking over other things. Oh, I was just kidding. How often have you heard that? Oh, I was just kidding. We might as well just say, I was just lying. That's what we're doing. If you're not saying something that's true, you're lying. Jesus spoke with no guile in his mouth. And those who follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth, will have no guile in our mouths. Guile. Fish bait. Leading that poor fish to think that when they get a hold of that thing, they're getting a nice meal. What are they getting? Fish hook. What are we telling our children when we say, I was just kidding? Well, they decide when they're going to just kid. I've heard children tell their parents outright lies because they've heard their father say, I was just joking. Only they don't tell the part about joking. Okay? Maybe they'll tell you that later after the heat's off. Do you understand? I wasn't really telling the truth last week, but you do the same thing, Dad. I've heard children say to their parents, Dad... Are you being honest? I've heard him say, Daddy, are you telling the truth right now? We should not put our children in that position, brothers and sisters, where they have to wonder whether we're being funny, whether we're being serious, whether we're telling the truth, whether we're joking. This is not Christian integrity. It will be no part of the kingdom of heaven. So I say, Let's deal with it here. I have dealt with it by the grace of God in my own home and have set a right example in my home. Do you think that we don't have any fun in our home? You think we sit with our hands crossed? Well, there's some people that have been in our home here in this congregation. We have a home that is full of joy and contentment. We have a, a, a home where we laugh, a proper laughter. But we don't have a home where we try to make up funny stories to get people to laugh. Because that is not the example that our Savior has set for us. I remember recently we were doing meetings and we had the opportunity to speak with a pastor that we had worked with 10 years ago in a series of meetings. Okay, so 10 years ago our family had worked with this pastor and our children were, well... Ten years ago, figured it out they were littler then, okay? 
And so we were together, and this pastor came to Elaine and I, and he said, you know, I just want to share something with you that I think will be a great encouragement to your hearts as parents. He said, when we were together with your family 10 years ago on this speaking, at these meetings, he said, I learned something about your children that has never left me. It made a very deep impression upon me. Your children were joyous, happy, fun to be with, but they would never enter into any jesting, joking, or laugh at any of my foolish talking. Not once, he said. And it was a reproof to my heart. And he said, I've never forgotten it. And I just want to tell you how much that meant to me. You know, that man does not do that today. He does not do that today. And I don't want to say it was because of that. It happened 10 years ago. But it was a, it was a deep impression that little children, because, you know, many and men are, are worse about this than women. I'm going to say that. It's my experience, men are worse. Men think that they've got to tell funny stories to children. They've got to go, boom, you know. They've got to make them laugh. They've got to do funny things, make faces. And then they're going to reach the hearts of children. That is not true, okay? We don't have to do foolish things to reach the hearts of children. It's not necessary. We can have our conversation in heaven and enjoy good fellowship together and enjoy wholesome laughter. We don't have to be involved in the foolishness, the jesting and joking You know what I found? And again, I speak from my own experience, and I've seen this as I've talked heart-to-heart with some men who have been honest and vulnerable about the struggle in this area. Many times, social funniness, foolishness, jesting, joking, storytelling is nothing more or less than social filling space that's awkward and not knowing how to talk about something better. You know, we're better off to be silent and listen a little bit until we get better words to say than to try to fill awkward spaces with foolish words. Revelation 14, verse 5 says, In their mouth was no guile, was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. This is speaking of a people, and I want to be among those people, don't you? This isn't speaking of Jesus here. This is speaking of Jesus' people. The ones that follow the Lamb with us, whoever he goeth, no guile was found in their mouths. The last area I want to talk about today is Christian integrity in the relationships and interactions that we have outside of the home. In our business transactions, in our church setting, in our friendships, in our visits with relatives, these interactions. I remember one day I took my pickup truck to get the windshield replaced that was cracked out. And I don't know when the crack started, but, you know, it was was our old wood pickup, and it was no big deal, but time went on. It got worse and worse and worse, and the crack got worse, and finally the windshield needed to be replaced. So I took it in and went to to the man that owned this windshield repair business, and he told me, well, we'll be done in a few hours, and and come back and pick it up. So I came back, and when I walked in, and, and he said, have a seat, 
and he said, um, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your, your windshield wasn't covered by your insurance company. I said, really? He said, yeah, you don't have any windshield coverage. I said, I don't. I thought I had coverage. I thought I had comprehensive glass coverage. He said, no, you, you don't have the coverage. He said, but listen, this is the owner of the company. He said, listen. He said, since you thought you had coverage, he said, did you know that you had coverage at one point? I said, yeah. I know I did. I didn't remember canceling it. He said, here's what we'll do. So what we can do is we'll, we'll find out when your coverage ended and we'll backdate this invoice. What do you think? Hey, I can save several hundred dollars, right? What is the devil saying? Well, I'll tell you what. I knew instantly that is not integrity. Okay? And I said to him, I'm a Christian. And I could not do that in good conscience. And he looked at me a little bit sheepish because he's the owner of the company, okay? Supposed to be an upright businessman, right? Kind of caught in his tracks, if you will. But I said, I want to call my agent. And so I called my agent and I said, uh, told him the situation. I said, I, I really thought I had coverage on the glass. And my agent reminded me that I had ended the coverage and she looked at her file and told me the circumstances, jogged my memory, and I said, oh, I just totally forgot it. Because I had coverage on all my vehicles for windshield. So... Anyway, she said, well, when did the crack happen? And I said, well, to be honest with you, I don't know when it started because it's just a wood truck and I've just left it, but it got to the point where it was so bad that I just had to get the windshield repaired and I just thought I had coverage. And she said, okay, listen. She said, let me check your file. And she went through the file and she said, here's what we're going to do. You don't know exactly when that windshield crack started and you may or may not have had coverage then and so she said you've been a very good customer with our company you've been a long time loyal customer we're just going to take care of that but even then that wasn't good enough for strict integrity I said but what about the underwriter they're the ones that pay the bill right what about the underwriter and she said she appreciated it, and she said, I'll call and check. And so she checked, and she said it would be fine. Long-time customer, got my, all my vehicles, my house insured, no problem, taken care of. Praise the Lord. Integrity. But I got home. Life went on. A couple weeks later, I was praying. I just thought, you know, I wonder if that was really fair. Did, did I really... Did I really treat the company fair? And of course my thoughts, well, I've paid all these premiums. I mean, I've paid for lots of windshields, way more than I got covered on. But you know, I wanted to be of the strictest integrity. I called my agent back one last time. I said, I don't ever want this to bother my conscience. She knows I'm a Christian. We've had conversations. I don't want to ever be bothered by this again. I said, I want to know that you are clear and I am clear in how we've handled this transaction in business. We talked about it, and she said, don't give it another thought. What we've done is, is proper and correct and it's taken care of. So I haven't. 
but I could have saved $300. And I know people today that will do those kind of things to save, and it's not Christian integrity. How can we meet our Lord in that kind of business transaction or reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ as a saving power? I want to talk about Christian integrity in how we handle gossip. How we handle rumors, stories about a friend or a church member. Oh, I run into this so many times. It's incredible the divisions that gossip cause in a church. The divisions that are caused in friendships, even in families, in marriages. You know, I do a lot of marriage counseling by telephone appointment. And if I based my opinion on the first person I talk to when we're setting up, sometimes the wife will call and she'll say, you know, my husband and I really need help. And, you know, I just uh, wanted to know if we could, you know, just talk. I want to give you a little overview. I said, okay, that's fine. You can do that as long as we give your husband an opportunity to do that as well. Because if I just listen to her side, you know, by the time she's done, I think the guy ought to be, you know, he needs a real good talking to, Right? Well, then he gets on the phone, and he talks to me and tells me his side of it, and I say, oh, your wife didn't tell me about that part. (laughs) Totally different picture. Why? Because I'm hearing the woman's perspective over here, and if I base it all on her perspective, I throw him out, humanly, or vice versa. Can you trust the stories that you hear? They're often destructive, very very destructive. Well, I have to tell you that living in a ministry is like living in an aquarium. This is my son's word for it. I used to say we live in a fishbowl. A couple years ago he said, Father, it's gotten a lot bigger than a fishbowl. It's an aquarium, (laughs) like a saltwater aquarium. (laughs) You know those real big ones? But it's part of the reality of being in a ministry, isn't it? We live in an aquarium where our lives are seen and that's okay we have to accept that as part of the reality and it's okay to be there but I'll tell you one of the bad parts of it is that people can generate stories about you and, and say things and they'll hear things and I'll tell you something some of the some of the stories that have gone around uh, are some of them are so far-fetched that they don't even catch my attention, but sometimes they're very painful. And I'll tell you what's the most painful. And it happens, I've seen it happen in many people's lives. I've seen it happen in churches where we've spoken. I've seen it happen in marriages. I'll tell you what's painful. It's when you lose someone who you consider to be your friend because of a story that they've heard, but they never come and ask you if it was true. Or never even come and ask you because they're so convinced it's so true. It's like the lady I talked to on the phone. When she got finished with telling me about her husband, I thought the guy was really a sad case. I mean, really sad. But you know that marriage today, if you, if they were sitting in this congregation, they're not. But if they were, they're a model of Christianity. They love each other. They love each other more today than they did at their marriage altar by their own confession. They're not bad guys and bad girls anymore. They love each other. They don't speak about each other that way. But if I would have just taken one side 
I would have written that other person off humanly as a total loss for being restored. Is that what we're doing with people? Are we writing people off? You know, <clears throat> the most painful part of it is when somebody hears a story about you and doesn't care enough, doesn't have the Christian integrity to come or at least pick up a phone or write a letter and say, well, this is what I heard. You know, but, but I've known you for a lot of years and we've been friends. You know, wouldn't that be Christian integrity? And this is happening in relationships all the time, everywhere we go, and it's amazing to me, truly amazing to me, to see how quickly a person can change from being your friend to being your friend no longer. You know where this all started? This horrible condition of treating people this way with rumors and gossip started in heaven of all places with Lucifer leading it out. And do you know that Lucifer had over half of the angels of heaven believing the story about God and Jesus Christ? Did you know that? Over half the angels of heaven believed a story that Lucifer told them that was so cunningly devised, so smoothly portrayed, that one-third of those angels didn't even check with God or Jesus, and they rebelled. I praise God that part of that half of the angels said, this isn't the God we know. We're going to go talk to God ourselves. And we're going to find out because this isn't the character that we've seen in God. And they went back. And do you think that part of the angels is rejoicing that they didn't stay with the third that rebelled? It started in heaven with Lucifer. He told a story about God that was not painted correctly. It wasn't, he didn't say, oh, God is terrible. Lucifer was smooth. And gossip is often smooth and paints a one-sided picture. Lucifer didn't say bad things about God. He gave innuendos about God and how he dealt with Jesus and how he excluded Lucifer and Lucifer wasn't treated fairly. And all these things started happening. And you know, he did it again on this earth as Satan. You know this time who he did it to? He did it to Jesus again. And you know how he did it this time? After Jesus had gained a horrendous, huge popularity. Huge popularity. People were throwing their coats down, singing Hosanna to the King of Kings, feeding 5,000 not counting women and children, miraculously healing the sick, raising the dead. Jesus had thousands of people following his gospel ministry, and the devil didn't like it. So what did he do? He stirred up the leaders of the people. He stirred the leaders of the people up, just like he stirred up the angels in heaven. He stirred them all up. And he got them to turn against Jesus so that when Jesus was there hanging on the cross in his darkest moment of earth's history in agony, Jesus had no one but a thief on a cross believing in him. How could the tide of opinion turn so quickly? How? Even Jesus' own mother wept. She said, I thought that he would save us. His own disciples were in darkness didn't remember that he said he'd rise again. But there was a thief who said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. What a statement of faith in the darkest hour of Jesus' life. Trusting a man hanging on a cross 
to be your Savior. That was Jesus' crowd that day because all the popular opinion turned against Jesus because Lucifer told a one-sided story to the leaders and the people followed and they crucified their Lord. Oh, brothers and sisters, it breaks my heart as I see people turning away from friends, turning away and not having the Christian integrity to go and talk about it. And you know what the fruit is? The fruit is this. If everything that the story told about me that caused me to lose some of my friends was true, if it was all true, if those people who I thought were my Christian friends were really Christian, wouldn't they have reached out to me to save my soul? If it was all true, how did Jesus reach out to Judas? Was it all true? He was ready to betray his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was down on his knees, pleading with the heart of Judas. I tell you, there's fruit, brothers and sisters. By their fruit, ye shall know them. You see, if I hear something about you, and I hope you will listen to this, and I hope it will be a life-changing thought in your minds about how you handle gossip. If I hear a story about you, and that story begins to change my mind about you, I will come to you personally, by telephone, through a letter. However, I will come to you if it's going to change my mind. If I say, I don't believe that, that's just gossip. I know that character well enough. That is not true. I will not even let that phase me. I don't need to come to you then, do I? But if it's going to change the way I view you, if your friendship with me is going to change, if I'm going to start looking at you differently, if I'm going to start withdrawing my family from you, if I'm going to start saying, I don't want to be around you, then I owe it to you as a Christian with Christian integrity to come to you and give you the opportunity to speak in your behalf. And if I find out that what I've heard is true, then I need to pour myself out before God to restore you. I need to, to work by God's grace to help reconcile you. If I find out it's not true, praise the Lord. It's nice to find out that rumors aren't true. Isn't it? You know, many times people believe a story because of how it's told. Hollywood tells some pretty good stories, don't they? Makes them pretty believable. But are they true? No, they're not true. Oh, friends, I pray that each one of us will practice two simple verses as I close today. Matthew 18, 15. If someone has ought against you, go to them in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If you have ought against me and I remember that. And there's something that I remember that I need to make right with you. What do I need to do? Go to you. Okay? It covers both bases. Okay? If I've hurt you, come to me. Come to me. Be willing to come. Matthew 18, 15. And if you recognize you've hurt somebody else, be willing to go. You see, 
True Christian integrity will bear fruit to the glory of God. Real Christian integrity would stop the gossip. Real Christian integrity would stop the rumors, would stop the exaggerated stories. It would stop the focus on me and my self-preservation, and it would begin, it would begin to make a restoring of the breach. And as we surrender ourselves to Christ to allow Him to work in us, then we can be restorers. We can have a part in restoring that breach. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.